0: We stand in the presence of God's word. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans. They did not receive him. James and John said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. As they were going, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. If if you've been following with me all this year as we've made our way through the Gospel of Luke, You recall that I've told you the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those that look most alike, know of only one journey that Jesus made to Jerusalem after he began his ministry. John mentions more. Those three mention just one trip. Luke tells us here in chapter 9, Jesus now set his face to go to Jerusalem. But he doesn't get there until chapter 19. Luke has only 24 chapters in his whole gospel, and 10 chapters are given to the trip to Jerusalem. So obviously it's very important in the way Luke understands the story, those last crucial days in Jesus' life, what was happening to him and to those who followed him on that significant trip. Now, if you were listening carefully as we read, you can see that Jesus gave these three some pretty strong words to think about. But Dr. Alan Culpepper reminds us in his commentary, Jesus often did this to get people's attention. He didn't always mean you should take everything literally. He meant what he said, he didn't always say what he meant. In other words, one time he said to them, if your right eye, and the right eye was the one that most people aimed a bow and arrow with, or a spear or javelin, if your right eye is offending you, if it's not keeping you focused on the right things, tear it out, throw it away. He didn't really want those who followed him to walk around with only a left eye. Of course, he's trying to make a point. So if he's trying to make a point with these pretty sharp rebukings here, what does that say to you and me when we read it today? Let's take a look. I've underlined four things for you to think about. Number one, that first one, Lord, I'll go wherever you go. Really? Are you sure? I've started toward Jerusalem. I've sent my disciples out to find us a place to sleep, someone who will feed us supper. And they've come back saying, we're not welcome. Foxes have holes to which they go. Birds have nests. The son of man has nowhere to put his head. Sure you want to come with me? June the 1st, just a month ago, a high school teacher who's taught 26 years now had been asked by the senior class at his high school if he would give the commencement address. He said, I was pleased. After 26 years, they wanted me to give the commencement address. But he never imagined that somebody was sitting out there recording all of this, and that they would edit down what he had said to what they wanted to sell and put it out on all the social networks. And what came out on the social networks was... Your parents have been telling you all your life, you're something special. Well, you're not special. There are millions who are graduating from high school this very month. Not only in this country, but around the world. You are not special. You're one of millions. So immediately his phone started ringing off the hook. All the morning shows were wanting him to come on and explain himself. So a limousine picked him up and whisked him to the airport, and another one rushed him downtown New York City. He was trying to answer what he had said. And basically he said, read the whole speech. I think my students got it. What I said to them was, your parents... I've wanted you never to be disappointed so everything you've ever entered, you got a trophy. But if everybody gets a trophy, trophies don't mean very much, do they? If everybody gets a certificate, the certificates don't matter much, do they? Here in America, he said, we've become more conscious of accolades than genuine achievement. And then what he asked of them was that they be different. Different in the way they pursued the rest of their lives. And as I read the close of his speech, it reminded me of Condoleezza Rice's autobiography. A young African-American girl growing up in a deeply segregated Birmingham, Alabama who went on to Stanford Bachelor's, master's, doctorate, professorship, secretary of the state of the greatest country in the world, and she called her book about her parents, Extraordinary, Ordinary People. This teacher, after 26 years, was begging his students be extraordinary, ordinary people. And you do that, he said, by bringing more energy and selflessness to the task. Selflessness. Not thinking less of oneself, thinking of oneself less. And the other more. Sure you want to follow this, Jesus? Number two could I bury my father first? One of the scholars I read this week said, you're assuming that the father's already dead. That may not be what he's asking. He may be asking, don't I have a responsibility to see my mother and father out to their deaths and get them buried? Then I can come with you. That was good Judaism. Judaism. In fact, in the 10 commandments when it says honor your mother and father, it literally is saying honor age. Treat older people with kindness. Respect. Listen to what they have to say. They've learned things through the years. And yet Jesus is saying, "Sure? You really sure?" There's a musical playing right now in Chicago called Floyd Collins. It opened on Broadway in 1996. It lasted 25 performances. Yet the reviewer that I read in the Wall Street Journal recently said, I believe this is the greatest musical composed since Sondheim. I don't know why it didn't work on Broadway. It's a true story. Floyd Collins, a young man in Kentucky... 1925 the Great Depression might not have come to the rest of the country yet but it was already there in Appalachia but somebody had told them that out in New Mexico they'd found a cave and lots of people were going to Carlsbad to go see that cave he knew about a cave there in Kentucky on his property If that cave might be bigger than he had originally thought, maybe he could get people to come in their old jalopies and see his cave. And so he pushed himself deeper and deeper and deeper into the cave until one day there was a slide of rock. He was trapped far below the surface. There was a movie made about it many years ago called Ace in the Hole. Kirk Douglas, others starred. It showed the greed of the people up on top of the ground. Newspaper reporters who suddenly decided maybe this was their ticket out of Kentucky. Radio reporters who came, maybe this was their ticket out of Kentucky, reporting on this young man trapped down in that cave. But he's dying. In fact, he did die. Two long weeks they tried to drill to him, tried to get to him. He died. And the musical is about one side of the stage where everything above ground is happening, and this young man trapped where it's dark, wet, cold. He has nothing to drink and nothing to eat. He's dying. Near the end, he sings Is there light? Does it hover near the ground? Is there light from all around? The reviewer said, I think he's asking, is there God? Does God care? Is God close? How much are you willing to give up to follow and find out Number three, scholars say that Luke here is thinking about, Jesus may be thinking about something that happened in the life of Elijah. When Elijah was getting along in years, he saw this good-looking young guy plowing a field one day, his name Elisha. He said, by George, this is the one to continue my work. He walked out into the field, took this wrapped from around his shoulders and put it around the shoulders of Elisha. said, Elisha, you're the man to take over my work. He said, could you give me a little time to tell my family goodbye? Oh, sure. Jesus said, no way. And the scholars say Luke is trying to say Jesus is not Elijah. He's greater than Elijah and he expects more than Elijah trying to make a point. If you subscribe to HBO, maybe you saw the first uh, first episode of The Newsroom. It's just open. Alan Sorkin's newest and latest one. Jeff, uh, Jeff Daniels was chosen to play the lead role. Now, some of you will remember Jeff Daniels. Uh, born in Georgia, but his family moved to a small town in Michigan, not far from Ann Arbor, called Chelsea, Michigan. He's uh, graduated high school, college, and his drama professor said to him, go to New York, that's where, that's where actors go, go to New York. And he went to New York as a very young man and had several really good roles in, on Broadway, and then he was asked to come to, to Hollywood. He starred in Terms of Endearment when he was a very young man. In fact, he made 55 movies. But not many people have heard of Jeff Daniels in a long time. And so for this new series on television, he was asked, Where have you been? Where have you been? And he said, I married my high school sweetheart. When we decided we were ready to have a family, we decided we didn't know how to raise kids in California. We didn't know how to raise kids in New York City, but we knew how to raise kids in Chelsea, Michigan. And we moved them to Chelsea, Michigan. That's where we've been. The interviewer went on with question after question, and finally Jeff Daniels brought it to a close saying, Oh, by the way, the family's fine. We all have to make choices. How much time for one thing? How much for another? How far are we willing to go for family? And where is our Lord leading us in family? beyond family. Number four, I want to go back to the beginning of today's text. Jesus sent out his disciples to go into this little Samaritan village. You have to remember the geography. He had come from Galilee when he lived. The, ter- the territory we now know as Israel had three parts. Galilee in the north, Judea in the south, including Jerusalem. Right in the middle of those mixed blooded folks called Samaritans, the ones whom the Assyrians had sent in more than 700 years before to replace the Jews they had carted away, who had disappeared, who ceased to exist. Jews, Samaritans, didn't get along well. And when Jesus' disciples went into this little village, the Samaritans said, No way, go away. James and John said to Jesus, you want me to call down fire out of heaven and just blast them away? And Luke uses a very strong word here. Jesus turned on those two and rebuked them. Haven't you gotten it yet? We're not calling down fire. We're not calling down fire. Last Saturday morning, Got up earlier than usual for me on Saturday morning, drove to Oklahoma City to meet with the jurisdictional delegates from Oklahoma who will be voting on the election of bishops, in the election of bishops, three weeks from now. We have to elect three in this jurisdiction. We've interviewed all ten of them. Now we were talking with each other. Where do you see strengths? Where do you see weaknesses? Who might you support? Not, not agreeing we would all vote for the same three necessarily, but at least sharing ideas. Which ones do you think are the, are the better qualified? I was there till nearly one o'clock that Saturday. On the way over, I turned my radio on. I'm trying to kill time going down the Turner Turnpike, and there was a radio show about home repairs. If your commode won't flush right, here's what you need to do. If your light switch has got a flicker in it or short in it, this is what you do. If your security system, you don't have one, you've got a problem, and Furious is not, you know, that sort of thing. It passed the time. I got there. When I got in my car, start back, it was still tuned into that station. There's no Oklahoma City preacher on. He was gosh awful. <laughs> he was awful. He had in front of him the Communist Manifesto. He was reading one item after another from the Communist Manifesto and then saying, and this is happening right here in America. Guess what? If he could, he would call the fire down on you and me. But we follow one who says we're not calling down fire on anybody. These people may not have accepted us. We're not calling down fire on them. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. We're to be workers of peace. We're to preach a gospel of grace, a gospel of good news. Dr. Thomas Long came from Princeton Seminary to be our Barton Clinton Gordy presenter long time ago now, we Methodists lured him away from Princeton to our Candler School of Theology, Emory University in Atlanta. He's been there all these years since. He recently wrote an article saying, When I was a young seminary professor, the only future planning I had to do was to be sure I got into the curriculum, the courses I was teaching in the fall and the ones I'd be teaching next spring. But now, he said, it seems we spend half our time trying to figure out what's the church going to look like in five years, ten years, fifteen years. What's the seminary supposed to be doing in five years, ten years, fifteen years? I heard a speaker at our minister's week at SMU in Dallas a few years ago from the Alban Institute say, you want me to try to tell you what the church is going to look like? I don't know. But I'd give you the advice that Joseph gave Pharaoh. Build an endowment fund, he said. That's what he told Pharaoh. You're going to have seven good years. Do it right. You're going to have seven lean years after that. Build an endowment fund. I think churches 25 years from now who can keep their pipe organ tuned and rain from coming into the sanctuary will be in great demand. Forty years ago, Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock. There was a big conference at one of our Methodist universities, and they had heads of all the various departments trying to figure out what's the future going to be? What should we plan on? They asked the anthropologist, asked the sociology department, asked the philosophy department, asked the astronomy department. Finally, they got around to the seminary dean. All these others had grandiose answers about what the future was going to look like. And the seminary dean said, I have no idea what the future is going to hold. But I know the one who will hold the future in his hands. And he was the only one at the conference who was right.